welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health. It's called High Energy Health because it is. Every week I'm so delighted to share with you. And as you know, we have just the most remarkable lineup of experts, speakers, guests on the show. And we give you information that is directly relevant to your health. You'll also know if you listened to the show before that I recommend you listen with a notepad in hand. You write down these ideas because we want you not just to hear ideas and hear inspirational concepts. We want you to apply them. So I want you to have a game plan. Extract the information from today's show that's going to be relevant to your life that you can apply and then practice it. We can be inspired. We can go to events. We can show up at workshops. We can listen to media like this. But if we don't then take those ideas and make them meaningful and relevant with a game plan for our lives, they're just a temporary nice experience. If, on the other hand, you are making that game plan, you're in the process of changing your brain. You're turning states of well-being into traits that are going to be there for you when you need them. And the newest studies in neuroscience are showing that these practices can start remodeling your brain really quickly, as in a few seconds of neural firing, certainly practiced over a period of a few days and weeks, they can produce actual anatomical changes in your brain. So join us in high energy health, make it part of your, your regular routine, and then apply these things in your life. I love to see you thriving. And that's the why. That's why I do this every day. That's why I just so love being here and sharing in this way. You're going to so enjoy our guest today. His name is Dr. Friedemann Schaub, and he is the author of the new book, The Empowerment Solution. He's also a medical doctor. He has an MD and a PhD, and has also been coaching people. And you'll find that he has such a wise and powerful, both knowledgeable and compassionate presence. Friedman, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for this introduction. That was really kind. So we were chatting before we went live about our personal challenges and just laughing about them because uh, people say to me, well, Dawson, you've been teaching this personal growth stuff for 50 years, that's <laughs> half a century. I mean, you still have challenges and you still have problems in your life. And it's like, uh, yes. <laughs> so we come into this usually to work with our own problems, just share how you got into this journey and also what your personal growth journey looks like today. Well, I got into this journey because I was struggling with something very specific since I was little, which is anxiety. Oh, who doesn't have anxiety? Well, I certainly had it. And uh, no one really at that time, I mean, we are talking about the 70s, was really sending their kids to a psychologist or psychiatrist. It was more like get it over with. So I was certainly dealing with my anxiety for a long time. And I figured out the way to deal with anxiety is for me to be perfect. 
and always really reach higher levels of accomplishments. And that's going to do the trick. And unfortunately, it didn't. Unfortunately, no matter what I accomplished, no matter how much I felt like oh, finally I landed, there was always another goal I had to reach because I never felt totally good enough, totally accepted. And, and I think some of you may be able to relate to this. And so at some point, I realized I need to make a course correction. And that course correction was long, like, you know, one of those big boats corrections. So from medicine to molecular biology, where I was working more with animals and unfortunately rats and cells. And, and then I realized I want to actually help people and I want to help people shift from the inside out, not with a medication and not with a diagnosis, but really help them to deal with their emotions as something that's a gift, something to grow from, which goes... That's exactly what I experienced with my anxiety. I grew through my anxiety. The, my anxiety helped me to course correct. And that's how I got into this work that I'm doing now with mainly the focus of conscious subconscious collaboration and what that means we can get more into later. Yeah, I'd love to go there because your journey from molecular biology, being an MD, getting your PhD, and then now you're focused on none of the above. You're focused on emotions. Why are emotions so key? Well, I found in medicine that there were so many of, I was in cardiology, so so many of our patients struggled with anxiety, not only because they had a heart attack or a stroke, but also because they were already anxious and stressed before they had even physical symptoms and it was pretty clear to me we have to help people with their mind because the mind has a huge effect on the body and so helping people to not just you know cover up the symptoms or deal with the symptoms of the physical form but really go to the more root of why our body gets out of balance that was the first intention really helping people to not get ill. But it really more than later on in helping people to be happier, more fulfilled, because I think anxiety can really make us feel held hostage. It can make us feel like we are just surviving another day. And that's not what we are meant to experience. And there's so much more to gain if we are stopping fighting the anxiety or just trying to cope with it, but really trying to understand it. And that's how I began, you know, the journey of trying to really decipher what is anxiety about? What is the subconscious meaning? And how can we use the anxiety to our benefit? I know you've got some just brilliant ways of seeing the adaptive way of working with this in your book. And you talk about how so much of this is in our subconscious minds, our subconscious programming in the fight or flight response. And it evolved as part of our necessary survival instincts. And of course, now buried in the subconscious, it's really hurting us. And when you talked about anxiety and, and patience, I, I was just thinking about a, a man I worked with just many years ago, like 20 years ago, I was at a book signing, doing a book signing, and there were like maybe 50 people in the audience. And I was doing EFT tapping with a few of them on stage. And this one guy had walked in freedom on, he was on crutches, and he had been in a car accident a couple of weeks before and had a broken leg. And he, when I asked for volunteers, he raised his hand. And I thought, I don't want to work with this guy. 
he has a fracture of the femur it's, it's two weeks old it's he has high pain of course he has high pain is on crutches is dragged himself here today but so that's just a physical problem there's there's surely no emotional stuff there to work on so his pain was an eight out of ten and eventually i ran out of other people to work with and the guy was still raising his hand so i tried to avoid him i'd failed and i had him up i you know hobbled up there on his crutches and uh, told me his pain was eight out of ten and i thought oh geez i'm gonna make a fool of myself here because there's clearly nothing emotional about you know a, a fracture of the femur that he had in a car accident two two weeks ago and of course his pain is eight out of ten and as i worked with him as i did eft acupressure with him and we focused on the emotional parts of it Friedman, he was mad. He was mad at the other driver who hit him. He was mad at his wife who'd been in the passenger seat. He was mad at the people who had the ambulance. They arrived too slow. He was mad at the hospital. He was mad at his body for still being eight out of 10 for pain. And so we're tapping away, releasing the stress through acupressure. And he's telling all these emotional stories. And his pain dropped to down from an eight out of 10 to a two out of 10. And I just stood there absolutely amazed. I did not realize that the importance, the, the contribution that emotions make to physical pain and disease up until that moment. And that really was like, that redirected me, that one man really shifted the way I work. So I totally get it that these people had stress and anxiety before they showed up in your cardiology ward. I saw really the first time the impact of our emotions and our physical body when I was a medical student, right, first year medical student, and you have to work in a hospital and, you know, kind of help people to, you know, just get out of bed, wash them. I mean, really basic stuff, but it was a very good lesson. And there was this man that is kind of like your story, but just the opposite. He told me, well, I broke my leg. Tomorrow I'm going to have surgery. And can you please tell the doctor to not do the surgery? I'm really afraid. I'm afraid that if the surgery will be done, that I'm going to die. And I told him, no, the doctors are good. You don't have to worry about it. They know what they're doing. This is apparently, I didn't know what I was talking about, but the nurse has said, it's a simple fracture. It's a simple procedure. You should be fine. And he still was freaked out. He still was scared. And so the next day there was a surgery. Surgery went fine as expected and the patient died. Mm -hmm. And so there was something about that fear that was so strong inside of him. I don't know if it was a premonition or I don't know if it was a fear and the belief I'm gonna die when someone cuts me open that actually made his body shut down, but it stuck with me. It stuck with me how powerful our beliefs and our emotions can be. And like you said, it can create pain. And when you release them, it can reduce the pain, but unfortunately it could also really create some kind of a almost self-fulfilling prophecy. So why did we evolve to be this way? If this is so counterproductive, how come we, our bodies evolved, our minds evolved to function in this manner? Well, I don't know. I'm not God, to be honest, but uh, I think there is something very self-protective about all of those things. And, you know, you could also say, what's pain for? And pain, of course, is really necessary for us to be even aware of something out of balance, being aware of something not okay. And I think when you really think about if we would live without pain, we probably would always hurt ourselves. We wouldn't notice, you know, if we have an inflammation or a break. So we need the pain. And the emotion 
emotions are in a similar way. I mean, stress, anxiety, anger, all of those emotions are alerting us to something. They are making us pay attention. Now, in your example, you know, this man felt very powerless and this powerlessness created a lot of stress. Powerless because of the accident, of, you know, the injury that he had after the accident, the driver that drove into him, whatever. There is powerlessness because that's usually then what leads to anger, but underneath it's fear. And then the body is all ready to fight and flight. And when you are in fight and flight, you are not about healing, relaxation. You are about getting ready. And that brings all this blood flow to the limbs. And that makes the nervous system extra cautious and aware. And of course, that's how the pain level got up. And when he was able to relax and release, the pain got down. So it's all a system. I think anxiety is often telling us something that we think we know, yes, it's the boss, or yes, it's the what ifs, or it's, you know, whether I get what I want, but it's something completely different. And that's something more from the inside out. And that's what we have to learn to listen to and understand. Yeah, and you tell us that all of these things are subconscious. They aren't at the level of the conscious mind. So we can't think our way out of them very often or find them with a thinking process. And you talk about how we develop different coping styles to deal with them. And all of those coping styles are just ways of actually not dealing with them at their base, at the root in our subconscious. So please just share that whole process with us of noticing them, of starting to identify what they are in the subconscious, the different coping styles we have, and how we start to grow through this awareness. Well, I think, you know, when anxiety shows up, usually what we're doing is either, you know, like, oh, my God, here it is. And uh, we try to make it go away. And if anxiety doesn't go away, we are distracting ourselves, we are running away from it, and sometimes we are self-medicating. So we don't want to really feel the emotion. And we don't want to feel anxiety just like I was left alone with my anxiety because we simply don't know what to do with it. You know, does anyone teach us? Yes, maybe now we hear more and more. Yes, you can do breathing, mindfulness, and so on. But in general, we are still left on our own devices. And we are still left with this demon inside that we think who can attack us at any moment. And what happens next is that we are trying to see ourselves as, okay, we have to live with anxiety. So how do we avoid anxiety getting triggered? And that's when, you know, in the book, I'm talking about these survival patterns. This is when we are slipping into these survival patterns. So for me, it was pleasing everyone. And I pleased through accomplishing. I pleased through being a peacemaker. You know, my name is Freedom Man, Man of Peace. So I definitely made, you know, sure that everyone was getting along with each other. And that's how I got my anxiety under control because I was afraid of not belonging, not being lovable, not being accepted. So pleasing was one way. And others may have more the avoidance. You know, you avoid being seen. You don't want to create conflict. You put yourself, you know, just way down there and hide out or you procrastinate, which is another avoidance pattern so that you don't have to show up or fail. And so we live in these patterns and these patterns become autopilot functions. And unfortunately, that is when it's not only about anxiety, like, you know, we're dealing with anxiety. It's like our whole lifestyle, the way we go about life and how we navigate through world through the world is all about just not getting hurt, not, you know, getting in trouble or rejected, all the self-defense, 
And when you think about energetically, it's about high energy, your program, it's energetically a contraction. You know, you, you're really holding yourself tight in this way of self-defense. And, and all in nature wants to expand. All in nature wants to grow. So what we do in constant survival pattern is the opposite of what we are meant to do. We are keeping ourselves smaller and keeping ourselves more trapped rather than living in a greater, you know, expansive and self-expressive mode. And that's the reason why so many people feel not only anxious, but they also feel hopeless and become depressed. And I think that's the pandemic that we are really dealing with, especially amongst young people that are so often exactly in that trap. Yes. Yeah. And I'm so struck when I teach live classes at some of the 20-somethings and 30-somethings in my classes, and they look good. Often they're doing well financially. They may have very stable and safe life styles. And yet when I start talking to them and the sessions begin, they are just wrestling with so much hidden stress and anxiety and mood disturbances and other than sequels of those like insomnia and digestive problems and, and a whole group of physiological symptoms. And so it's just actually shocking to me, Friedemann, how often people who look so good on the outside are just a wreck on the inside. Yeah. And I think, you know, the wreck is also because they are disconnected from themselves. You know, when we live in this mode, even though, you know, I was an achiever, I looked good on the outside, had very expensive shoes and nice watches. And <laughs> but inside, I felt very, very lost. So, you know, when you are this kind of nice, shiny object, you have done a lot to get there. And you didn't necessarily do this because you wanted to, but because you thought you had to. You had to function, you had to fit in. Sometimes I hear, you know, people in the 20s saying, I'm already behind, I'm not married, I don't have a mortgage, I don't have a dog. Oh my God, I'm like, you know, maybe. And I ask, what race? What's the competition? Yeah, I don't even know what price you get. But there is some real urge to somehow end up in that more, you know, productive member of society state. And everything that actually would bring you fulfillment which is mainly about knowing yourself, understanding what is my gift and talent, what makes me happy, what do I really want? All those things are skipped. I mean, especially now, I had plenty of years of complete boredom and it was really tough in the long summers to do something. There was no TV really, there was no certainly, you know, phones or anything like this. So you were sitting there, I was in the black forest, really bored out of my mind, but it was good because you had to connect to the simple things. You had to connect to yourself. You had to understand, you know, what really interests me, what is creativity to me and all those things no way. No one has time for this anymore. There's, you know, kids are on a schedule with extracurricular activities, with sports, with music, with doing things that look good on the resume for, you know, the future colleges. And there is no space for them to really get clear on themselves. And then you add to it, you know, the whole pressure of social media and fitting in. In the end, it's not about individuality anymore. It's really just about how can I be liked, literally and figuratively. And unfortunately, I think that's a complete wrong way. I tried it. It's not working. It makes you feel miserable. So we have to go and reclaim our birthright to be authentic 
And that's what the book is about, learning to be the authentic leader of your life and not just a follower of some expectations of society or the people that you grew up with. Yeah, we find that I'm doing a lot of research now on transcendence, self-transcendence. And we find that as people self-transcend, as they evolve, as they reach these self-transcendent states, as they are plugging into nature, into the universe, into something greater than themselves, they lose interest in what other people think of them. And that starts to drop and get a lot lower. And you know, you still maintain a little bit of it. Like I went and changed my shirt. I was wearing a horrible shirt today. And I changed the shirt <laughs> for the interview. So you still have some sort of basic, you get dressed for work rather than walking in naked. But <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe one day you're transcendent and come up without a shirt. <laughs> maybe that's what comes next. I want to have that you... interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll set it for a year, a year from now and see what happens. We get the point and it's wonderful to see people who are, are, are just liberated from that. And I think about my, my kids who grew up you know, safe, trauma-free, as really self-transcending human beings, self-actualizing human beings. And they have a moderate amount of interest in what other people think of them, but they just live their own lives, chart their own course, and really don't care much. So that's one of those counterbalancing parts of ourselves is that when we are really self-actualized, we really are living our own life and we reclaimed our life, then we're, of course, nice and kind and compassionate to those around us, but we aren't run by their opinions. And that's a really powerful place to be. We're going to go to a break right now, but please stay tuned. You're listening to High Energy Health. When we get back, I'll share more about Friedman, about his book, about where to get more information about what he offers. But for now, please stay tuned. We'll be back after a short break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church. And for more on Dr. Friedemann Schaub's work, go to his website, drfriedemann.com. And you spell that D-R-F-R-I-E-D-E-M-A-N-N.com. Again, drfriedemann.com for more about his books and more about his work. Friedman, I'm really interested in these different roles you find people adopt to deal with their anxiety. And you identify several in the book. And I know I could see myself in them when I look through that list. Why don't you explain to us what those are, how those are able to be coping mechanisms for us, how we can recognize them, and then start to move into healthy patterns of self-acceptance. You know, it all started on a Sunday walk when I was going around our block here and all of a sudden I had, you know, this little awakening where I realized after all these years working with people on anxiety and, you know, helping them to find themselves, there are certain patterns that just repeat themselves over and over again. And I knew I need to write about those patterns. And these patterns are these so-called survival patterns. And you can say there are two major modes as I said before, avoidance and pleasing mode, but then there each mode has three patterns and the avoidance pattern has a victim pattern. I mean, no one likes to be talked, you know, called a victim, but if we're really honest to ourselves, we often feel like victims. 
victims of all different kinds of things. You know, we still may feel like we are the victim of our parents or the victim of those two friends that all of a sudden dumped us and, you know, just uh, pretended they don't know us. And then it's going to be always hard for us to trust anyone. We can even feel victimized by our own emotions. So many people feel victimized by their mind or by their body because they feel let down. So being in victim mode is certainly an avoidance mode, and it keeps us always on the lookout for the next perpetrator, for the next thing that can go wrong. Then there is invisibility mode. That's, you know, the mode where we just really play it small and we try not to be seen or heard. And the interesting thing is that the invisibility mode is often something people say, well, you know, I'm really an overachiever. I'm, you know, out there. I'm social. I'm not really invisible. And then you ask them, so when was the last time you actually were vulnerable? When was the last time you really shared what's going on inside of you? And then, you know, they stop and say, no, I'm, I, I never cry. I never complain. I never talk about anything that bothers me. So they are invisible in that way. They don't want to be seen other than the mask and the armor that they have been putting around themselves. So invisibility shows up in all different kinds of ways. And, and sometimes we're even invisible to ourselves. We only accept ourselves for that, what others like. And we don't really see those aspects of ourselves that we are rejecting or that we are associating with some trauma of the past. So invisibility is probably one of the most common modes we are in, that we only like to address or be seen in certain ways and not as our wholeness. And then there is the procrastination. That's a pretty common one, too, where you're simply, you know, not only procrastinating about your work or you haven't changed the light bulb, even though you have to go to the bathroom always in the dark, but somehow you don't get, <laughs> you don't get to it. But then there is also, you know, this procrastination about the things that you really want to do in life. You know, maybe you do want to go onto a spiritual journey, or maybe you do want to actually go to the doctor and get checked out, but somehow there is something inside that keeps us not doing it. And we, you know, in the book, I describe why that is and why that is a survival pattern. And then we are shifting modes to pleasing and pleasing goes from the chameleon, you know, the one that always fits everywhere in and changes the mind very quickly. But the chameleon is also that what we see these days, especially with also younger people that are looking for a way to be to fit in that idea of their peers. You know, to the extreme, it can be those that want to, you know, be a part of the challenges that are just times crazy, you know, like having a spoon of cinnamon or, you know, just going as close as possible to the cliff and have a nice selfie. And then unfortunately, so many people get hurt or injured and die from this need to fit in, the need to be relevant, the need to belong. And the chameleon is also a part of what we see in many you know political movements right now where people don't really ask themselves is this person is this what they're standing for really what i believe in or am i just following someone that i feel like you know that person gonna save us or me or whatever and and i forget all about my values all about my beliefs so it's again a very common mode it's not just the 
you know, opportunists that you see sometimes in movies, the chameleon is inside of all of us. And that's also true with a pleaser. There's always a helper, a pleaser, a caretaker inside of us that overgives and often gets underappreciated. So that's another survival mode that I certainly uh, signed up for for many, many years. And then there is a lover mode. And the lover mode is maybe in one simple word, the codependent one, the one that needs some relationship in order to feel loved, belonging. And that is also something that unfortunately is more common than not, that we do focus so much on that one person to make us feel whole or good or, again, belonging, even if the relationship is not very functioning, even if the relationship can be abusive. But in our mind, we tell ourselves, well, I need this person to live and to have some kind of a purpose. So as Friedemann has been sharing these different roles we can play, different personas we can adopt as our coping strategy, as our survival strategy, what's yours? <laughs> Remember, have your journal out here, be making notes. And I bet that when he said one of those, or maybe more than one, because you may have valences of more than one in your life, in your behaviors, which one or ones are you? Write those down and explore them further. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after a break. You're listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church, and, and his website is drdrfriedemann.com. We'll see you again in a moment. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church. And for more on Dr. Friedemann's work, go to his website, drfriedemann, F-R-I-E-D-E-M-A-N-N.com. So you painted this really powerful picture of these coping strategies that just keep us distracted and playing these roles how do we get back to our authentic selves, the essence of who we actually are? I think that's such an important piece that I don't know that I learned it uh, until maybe 20 years ago where, well, actually longer than 20 years ago, where I found myself in a church looking for some meaning, for some answers, feeling totally lost with myself, not sure who I was. Fortunately, I didn't really get an answer in that church. Maybe I should have come to you, but I was just lost. And, and I learned more and more that there is something inside of me that is unique. It's not my job. It's not my name. It's not you know, my profession. There is something that I just need to reconnect. Some call it the soul. Some call it the essence. But how do you get there? How do you find that? And so in the book, there is a process that is a, called realignment with your essence, where you literally are able to unwind yourself and take off all those layers that you have identified yourself, the personas, the roles, the programmings, the beliefs, the projections, and you really go back to who you are at the core, who you are at your root. 
And it's so funny, I often do this with my clients in the sessions. And when we go back, I mean, sometimes I have the most cerebral people. I had one client who was, you know, an engineer and also someone who was in finance and certainly not anyone who had interest in finding out his essence. But we still went on this journey because it was important. And when we got to his essence, to that energy that really makes him unique, who he is, he had for the first time in a long time tears coming down his cheeks and say, I did not realize how creative I am, that my core is actually being a creator. I'm not a numbers guy. I'm actually a creator. And and that changed everything for him because after that, he started to really work on creativity. He started on creating an app that helps people. and, And I found like, you know, that was a total course correction. And all this insecurity was struggling with now knowing who he is and knowing that there is no one who knows him better than himself. So no one can really judge him. No one can really tell him that he's wrong because he has this connection. It's almost like an inner center of gravity that you get back into. That made also a really big difference in his personal life. Yeah. And other people see us in those roles. We've seen ourselves in those roles and the process of disentangling ourselves from them to where we have a sense of perspective and objectivity that they are roles is a powerful one. And we may well find a different persona within when we do that quest for our authentic self. What are some of the other styles and how they translate into the possibility of growth and healing and finding the essence? Well, you know, I think a lot of people really need a little bit something more concrete in order for them to know who they are and connect to themselves. And so the first step is often just to be more aware of what are your values? What are your core values? And I see behind you all these beautiful values of yours. And I think, you know, it took you some time probably to hone in on them and become aware of them. And, And the value system is you know, it's not our essence. I see the essence, you could say it's like a diamond that has many different facets and each facet is one of our values. But the values are so important because they do give us direction. They connect us to our our uniqueness because everyone has different values and they everyone has a different system on what's really important and other things that are not that important. And The problem is if we are not knowing our values and then we are living against our values, we are creating a lot of pain inside. And I have to come back to me because I have a value of honoring life, life and really anything, whether it's a little bug on the street or whether it's, you know, I I was known to stop, you know, three, uh, six lane traffic because there was a little crow that was lost and I had to just, you know, save it. That's something I have since my early childhood. But then when I did my PhD program, I had to literally kill rats. And that was terrible for me. It was such a pain because it was such an overriding of my values. I wasn't so aware of it, but I realized that it became more and more stressed and more and more anxious because I did not live in alignment with that. And so it's an inner system. It's an inner GPS. And we need to know the values to know which direction to go, what's important to us. And, and then we also are heading to a much greater sense of fulfillment and purpose because we know why we're here. Absolutely. Knowing, living from knowing why you're here is the ultimate game changer. For more on Friedemann's work, go to his website, 
Dr. Dr. Friedemann, F-R-I-E-D-E-M-A-N-N.com. You're listening to High Energy Health. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your high energy host, Dawson Church. I'm so glad you're here. Make high energy health a part of your week, a part of your regular mental health, wellness and inspiration routine. For more on Dr. Friedman's work, go to his website, DR, then Friedemann is spelled F-R-I-D-E-M-A-N-N, drfriedemann.com. So we all are works in progress. <laughs> you had your walk outside, you had that epiphany. We all do have these shifts in who we are as we develop. And I'm just so curious, Friedemann, as to what your calendars are right now, what your leading edge discoveries are right now, where you're moving right now, where you feel stuck right now, what you're reflecting on right now, what is the current the growth that's happening in inside that brilliant head of yours at the moment. <laughs> wow. Okay. So <laughs> lots that's all I want to know the next six minutes. <laughs> I don't think we can do this in six minutes. It takes about six hours probably. But uh, I would say, you know, what's really on my mind right now is that personally, but also as, you know, a global community, I think we're living in a very, very interesting and kind of a decisive time. And you talked about the global shift of consciousness. And, and I really feel like that I'm so passionate to be a part of this. And what I'm struggling with is that I feel sometimes it's so difficult these days to reach more and more people. And yes, I do podcasts and classes and individuals write books and articles, but there are, you know, so many different voices and so many different streams of consciousness. It's hard to get through and it's hard to really not get discouraged. And it's hard sometimes to also feel like I see a lot of messages that I feel are not empowering, that are more like beating the drum of, you know, anxiety is terrible, for example, or, you know, we just have to cope, we cannot necessarily, you know, grow, that I would love to, you know, just open more minds. And so it's not easy sometimes. So my personal struggle is to always find more creative ways to get more people to wake up to their infinite possibilities and to connect more people with their authentic truths, because we need to be that. We need to be that authentic contribution to shift as a global community and also to make this earth healthier again, because we have been using it for a long time. And then I feel like the other thing is to not get pulled into it. You know, it's like this balance of seeing there is a lot of work to do, and at the same time, staying peaceful and neutral and having a sense of trust and not get into this negativity spiral that, you know, is so tempting and so tempting to be right. So tempting to fight about, you know, the things that you know and the things that you know other people are wrong. And, and then you 
are a part of that, you know, uh, discordance. You're a part of that energy that right now is a little bit of a battle going on in the world. I mean, you can see it in many ways. There are wars, there is political such, you know, big divide. There are opinions that are so opposite of each other. And I want to be more someone who can actually understand and connect to both and not feel like you have to take sides, but also then just be more a grounding and more, you know, peaceful uh, source for myself. Because if I'm not at peace, if I cannot really be peace man, freedom man, then I'm pretty much not living really on my purpose. So that's, you know, getting engaged, feeling passionate, and at the same time, staying grounded and peaceful. What helps me very much for that is not meditation. I mean, that helps too, but really helps me are my horses and my animals. It's amazing how just being surrounded by this pure, authentic energy of nature and animals are just so connected to nature is the grounding force. It really, really reminds you of life is not supposed to be that complicated. It's not supposed to be something where it's all about, you know, right, wrong, up, down. It's really more an organic flow. And and that's something I, I have to say, and I can really recommend anyone. If you need some neutrality, if you need some sense of peace, reach out to anything that you have around nature. And even if it's your goldfish, swimming in the glass, it still gives you a sense when you really connect to that being of, ah, that's how it feels like to actually just be and not overthink, overanalyze or, you know, over scheme. Absolutely. Your goldfish, that, those goldfish have been the same for thousands of years. Those horses you have, freedom on, have been the same for tens of millions of years. And we know from the fossil record, there were horses a long time ago. And yeah, you can get back to being just from that connection with, with nature in whatever form. And I know what you mean about being heard in a noisy world. It's getting noisier and noisier and noisier. I thought it was noisy 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and the noise is amplifying. And now, of course, with AI making it so easy to create anything from genius to rubbish, it's becoming just progressively, geometrically more noisy. How do we have an impact? How do we live our values? But again, that solid connection is one that is there for us through nature, there through meditation, there through transcendent states. We then just do the best we can in the outside world. So as we wrap up a time together now, thank you so much for the contribution. You are making a difference. And collectively, I think we are. So thank you so much for your work. Thank you for your books. Thank you for your awareness. And again, a real pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thank you for your high energy. It certainly made my day. Uh, I'm so glad. And make it your business to come back to high energy health over and over and over again. Great to connect here. And I'll see you in the next episode. I'm Dawson Church. And till we connect again, be healthy, be happy, fill yourself with self-love.